Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, there was a group of men of somewhat of a stature, and they caught a woman in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. Jesus tells her to go and sin no more. Now think about that. To change her ways, or to have the power to do something completely different would have been impossible to her. But you see, the woman placed her faith in Jesus as her Messiah, and she was forgiven of her sin. She was given the Spirit of God, a new life, and she experienced a change, listen, a change in her position before God, because now she was a child of God. And in the midst of all this, Jesus looks over to her after he's kind of handled those who are speaking ill against her. And he says, he kind of told them, well, you guys are big sinners. And they begin to leave and Jesus looks to the woman and he says, well, where are those who accuse you? And there were none. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go. And sin no more. Here's what I want to tell you. The reason she could go and sin no more is because she had a change of position that now helped her live out her new possession. See, Jesus said, I see you as now forgiven. New position. Now go and live with this new possession. I wonder today, are you looking for a change in position before God? Would you like to be right in your standing before God? Would you like to experience all that God wants to give you? In 1 Corinthians last week, and you can go back and listen to it, we talked about Paul describing the church at Corinth, and he called them saints. He said, you're saints by calling. That's a change in position before God. Then this morning, he's going to jump into it, and he's going to say, that change of Position has led to now you having lots of possessions in Jesus Christ. Now that you know who you are, now you can live out of who you are. We said that our identity determines our activity. And the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians is really about that. Now that you've been given this grace, now that you've been changed in position, God's given you a whole lot of possessions, and you're to live with those possessions, this holy and pleasing life before him. So I guess maybe the question that you may be asking is, is what are some of those possessions? Our text this morning, we're going to look at really two of three. Um, I'm going to be in El Salvador, so it'll take us two weeks to get back here. But this morning, we'll look at two of those, and then in two weeks, we'll pick it back up on the third one. So again, our text this morning is going to start talking about the possessions now that we have as a result of our position in Christ. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. 
So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 9. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet as we read God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. The Bible says these words. Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And watch this, church. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is what, church? Faithful. Through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can be seated because I know God's going to bless his word this morning. Amen. Paul tells us what we have in Christ, but he does so with a prayer. Did you notice that? He says, I thank God, my God always, and he would do that in prayer. Kind of reminds me the story of a prayer. There was a story of a man who encountered a bit of trouble while he was flying his little airplane. He he called the control tower and he said, pilot to tower, I'm 300 miles from the airport, I'm 600 feet above the ground, and I am out of gas. I am descending rapidly, please advise. Well, tower to pilot, repeat after me, our father who art in heaven. (laughs) That ain't the kind of prayer Paul is praying. Paul is praying a little bit of different prayer, and as he prays this prayer, he tells us about our possessions. And the first thing is this. We have the past grace of salvation. We have the past grace of salvation. Because in verse 4, he says, I thank my God for the grace which was given you. And then in verse 6, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. The text says that he praises God for the grace which was given. Later, he says that it was confirmed. The tense of these verbs is an aorist tense. And again, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to teach you about your Bible. The aorist tense refers to a completed action at a particular and definite point in time. In other words, Paul is saying, upon the moment that you, at that point in time when you trusted Jesus to save you from your sin, at that moment in the past, you received God's grace. The testimony of Jesus was confirmed in you at that moment. And at that moment, you are in Christ and the grace of God is yours. The past grace of salvation is something, for those who have trusted Christ, is something we possess. You know about the word grace, the basic meaning is, the, is for favor. But in regard to the salvation that comes through Jesus, it always has a distinct sense of being undeserved, unrepayable, this kindness and mercy that's given to sinners. It's totally undeserved, and it is totally unmerited. It cannot be repaid, and it is free to the one receiving it. Paul says, I always thank God for you. Paul loved these Corinthians, and here's the crazy thing. They were acting immature in their faith. They were acting, as we read the book, you'll see, in a very carnal, worldly, fleshly manner. 
However, much reason for thanksgiving was given because the vast majority of those believers, even though they were living that way, still had been saved by the grace of God. They had experienced the past saving grace of God. Paul did not thank God for how they were living. He thanked God for who they were in Christ. He thanked God for what God had done for them and for all their possessions and their spiritual wealth in Christ. Paul thanked God for the possession of this past grace. He knew their salvation was all of grace. You know this. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace that you have been what? Through faith, it's not from ourselves. It is the gift, that's that word grace again, the favor, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, they had been heathen idol worshipers, but now they were born again because of God's grace and mercy and in no way in which they deserved. But you have to see, I want you to think with me today because we have such a hard time putting our mind around what Paul is saying because I believe We understand grace theologically, but we struggle with it practically. So here's what I want to tell you about some things. When Paul says, I thank God for the grace of God, which was given you, I think we need to understand some things. Here's the first thing. Grace says, I owe what has been paid. Grace says, you don't owe, I'm sorry, what has been paid. Beloved, hear me. Grace, this is is hard to understand, but grace And guilt cannot exist in the same space. Grace completely removes our guilt. God doesn't ever say, I will give you my salvation, and with just one sin, with just one error, I'll take it away. That is not grace. That is a legal gift that can be taken away when the requirements aren't met. God's grace never says, I'll save you if you don't sin. You see, if we could keep from sinning, we wouldn't need grace. And if we didn't need grace, then we could even earn our salvation. We would deserve it because we aren't sinners. But without the need of grace, I mean, forgiveness, there's no need for grace. Here's the great news. God's grace has paid for all our sin. God's grace has paid for all your sin in the past, all your sin today, and all your sin in the future. That's why we call it amazing grace. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we owe. But grace says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Did you see it right there? The same verse that declares sin's punishment also declares its removal. The punishment is death, but the removal is Jesus Christ and the gift of grace. Christ on the cross met the demands of God's justice by taking the penalty of sin upon himself. That was grace. Jesus became guilty in your place. And the person who trusts Christ has all of his guilt, all of his guilt removed by God and is graced. In grace, God forgives sin, and now we can stand in grace. God's grace, listen to me, I want you to get this today. I'm so passionate about this. God's grace permanently overrules and removes all your guilt. Permanently. 
We theologically get this, but you and I struggle with it because you and I may feel guilty because of sin. And it's true, we may experience discipline from God because of sin. But here's the good news today. I may feel guilty, but I will never ever be condemned because of my sin. The guilt after coming to Christ is a reminder that I have sinned and it should help me not to sin, but that guilt is never a sign of God's condemnation or his rejection. Paul says, I praise God for the grace which was given in Jesus. And in Jesus, we are guiltless forever. That's grace. God's grace says what I owe has been paid. God's grace says that what I owe has been paid. Here's the second thing. Grace says, I don't owe what has been paid. Grace says, what I owe has been paid, but now that it's been paid, I don't owe it back. Grace and obligation can never exist in the same space. It's not that we're saved, and now we have to pay back to God what He gave us. Listen to me. God's grace is a gift. It's not a loan. (laughs) It's true That because of grace, we're totally indebted to God. But listen, the cost is so high, we cannot pay it. The cost is so high for what God has paid, you and I cannot pay it. But His grace is so good, we don't have to. (laughs) The cost is so high, we can't pay it. But His grace is so good, we don't have to. In other words, we're indebted to God, but somehow we owe Him nothing. We can never, mm -mm, I'm going to go to meddling. We can never pay for our salvation before we're saved or after we're saved. We don't have to work it off in some foreign place called by some funny name to hopefully get right with God. That's not how this thing works. It's all of grace forever. We have been saved and we don't have to pay back anything because Jesus said, Jesus paid it all. The Bible says in Romans 4, 4, if you were thinking about it, now to the one who works, right? To the one who's trying to pay for his salvation, his wage is not credited as favor, but it's what's due. If we were able to earn God's forgiveness, it would be what would come into us. We could earn it and God would owe it to us. Think about it. When we get a paycheck, we don't simply thank the employer for paying us. We know that he's obligated to pay us. We've earned it. An employer is not being gracious, but simply honest and fair. If someone is not paid, one could demand his pay. But grace doesn't operate like that. It's the giving of that which hasn't been earned and that which isn't deserved. Money and other things may be given or earned, but grace can only be given. Grace is priceless. Giving is the greatest love and greatest service and greatest obedience. If I had the greatest love in my heart toward God, if I served God with the greatest service and I was the most obedient child he's ever had, it still wouldn't touch what I owe him in Jesus. It's like offering to pay God back pennies to pay off the national debt. It's not going to make a difference because the cost is too high. You and I don't have to pay for our salvation. Our sin makes it impossible to pay, but grace makes it unnecessary to pay. Aren't you thankful for grace? We owe God everything, but not as a gift to pay, but because we're glad it's been paid. 
Grace says, I owe, I don't owe what has been paid, but, but listen to me. In Jesus, grace says this, lastly. Grace says, I cannot pay what I owe. It's not even that I don't have to, but, but I can't. Because grace and merit cannot go together. Grace isn't just offered to good people. In comparison to others, some are better, and some people are more moral than others, but compared to God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. For years, Israel thought that God chose them as his special people because they were better than others. God says specifically in Deuteronomy 7, I didn't choose you because you were better. Before man, we can say who is better or worse, but before God, we're spiritually the same, guilty and condemned in regard to our own righteousness. But Paul says we don't have to merit what God's given us. It was given in Jesus as a free gift. Listen to me. Our salvation, that past grace of salvation, is all a part of who God is. He is gracious and faithful, and it's been given to us in grace. I want to right now, could you just take a moment with me right there where you're at, and would you pause right now to thank God for the grace that he's given you? Paul said, I thank God. I think we ought to do the book right now. What do you think? Let's just do the book. You pray. Just take a moment right now and thank God for the grace that he's given you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that now if you would. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Paul says in verse 6, he says, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. To confirm means to be settled, made steadfast. The testimony of Christ, he says, has been confirmed. The word testimony is where we get our word witness and our word martyr from. Christ's witness is settled and confirmed in us when we trust him as Lord. At that moment when we trust Jesus, that confirmation about the witness, the testimony of what we believe about Jesus is settled forever because we're always going to stand in that because of God's grace. Listen to me. It's not just that we hear the testimony of Christ. It's that you and I have the testimony of Christ living in our hearts. As saints, we have something. We have the past grace of salvation. Here's the second thing we have. We have the present gifts of the Spirit. Now, the present gifts of the Spirit. In verse 5 in your Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 says, that in everything you are enriched in Him, in all speech, in all knowledge. Verse 7 says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The text says that we've been enriched in Jesus. Enriched literally means to be made very wealthy. <laughs> but again, it's in the passive voice, which means that it's not something that we did, it's something that was done to us. You and I didn't kind of work up these gifts. These gifts were given to us as a result of having the Spirit. Paul is basically saying that, that in Christ, we have everything that Jesus has to give, and he's given us everything that we need. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, for his divine power has granted to us everything. Did, did you hear that? His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
Paul says we've been enriched in a couple of gifts. He says there, in all speech and all knowledge. That is, in Christ, we have all we need to accomplish all God wants us to do. We will always be able to say everything God wants us to say and to know everything he wants us to know. He enables what he expects from us. We see that this, we have the ability to express the gospel. We have the ability to express the gospel. He says, we've been enriched in all speech. As I've studied this, I believe it's a reference to telling the truth of the gospel. Grace enables the believer to speak for him. You may not have eloquence. You may not have an impressive vocabulary. But trust me, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the ability, the capacity, and the capability to speak whatever the Lord wants you to speak to another person. Many, as I've often been through in church, and I want to speak to your hearts today, many would tell me, Pastor, I would be a witness, but I just don't know what to say. Pastor, I just don't know how to say it. I just don't think I could talk to somebody else about Jesus. We've got a problem. Because either you're going to go based on how you feel or what the book says. The book says you've been enriched in all speech. The book says you now don't have an excuse because you have been given the ability to express the gospel. That's why the reason we're to witness and tell people about the book is because God has already equipped us to do so. You heard me read it this morning, but Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? When the Spirit's come in, the Spirit brought some gifts and one of the gifts he brought was the gift for you to speak the gospel. When you get the Holy Spirit, you will be his witness. Because we have been rich in all speech and have the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I don't have any excuse for not giving testimony to Jesus. The early church, even when they were threatened not to share the gospel, instead of saying, well, I guess we can't do it anymore, they prayed for more boldness and confidence to do so. Acts 4.29 says, and now, Lord, look at their threats. And granted your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. They didn't bail out. And God answered their prayer because in Acts 4.31 says this, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. You know why? Because you and I have the present gifts of the Spirit. We've been enriched in all speech. The same Holy Spirit who saves us, enables us, and empowers us to speak with confidence and boldness. We have been enriched to witness, but here's where the problem is. Sometimes we're just not willing. So instead of saying, I don't know how, or I don't know if I should, maybe we should pray like Paul and see if God won't answer us like he did in Acts 4.31. Paul even prayed for more boldness. In Ephesians 6, 19, he said this, like we just gathered around Rachel and I, and pray in my half that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We don't go to excuses, we go to the throne, amen? And if you're having trouble witnessing, praise God, just pray about it, and God will take your willing heart, and it'll just come out of your mouth. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. When we witness, though, here's what I've found in my experience, 
and I'm just being honest with you, transparent, real people being real, when I witness, I'm more often amazed that God would use me than a person God saved. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, Lord, you use me? That's awesome. And that's how this thing works, man. God will blow your mind when you use what he's already given you. But not only has he given you the ability to express the gospel, here's the cool thing. He's given you the ability to explain the gospel. He says not only in all speech, but he says you've been gifted and enriched in all knowledge. It's not that we just speak about things we don't understand. We can speak with knowledge because we've been given it. Here's what I'll tell you today. You may not know all there is to know about the gospel or the Bible, but you know everything you need to know about how to speak about it. He's given you enough and given me enough about a revelation and understanding to speak the truth of his word. Listen to me. I'm going to say something and it might sting and I meant for it to. <laughs> If you know enough of how to be saved, you know enough to tell somebody else how to be saved. Because if you didn't know how you got saved, then come, let me tell you, and I can help you talk about how you need to be saved. And then once you find out how you were saved, you can tell somebody else. Church, the problem is not that we don't know enough or understand enough, it's that we're just disobedient. And we just need to get after it. I mean, how many more people are we going to let die without telling them about the Lord Jesus? That blood is on our hands, friends, but that's a guilt trip, and I don't want to do that. How many of you want people to know the joy you have in Jesus? Amen. That'll motivate you to go share. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who's shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In Christ, we know God. We know the Spirit. We know the truth. His revelation and His power. Ephesians 1, 17 says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. We have all we need to say and all we need to know in Jesus. We got it when we came to faith in Christ, amen. We have the ability to express and explain the gospel. Then Paul says we have the ability to exercise the gifts. He says there in verse 7, he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Praise God for that. Paul says we are not lacking in any gift. A Christian is never lacking any gift he needs to serve the Lord and to live a full and fruitful life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it what? You got that when you came to Christ. But see, in the light of the corruption in the Corinthian church, it would seem strange that Paul says you aren't lacking anything. Because they lacked spiritual maturity, and they definitely lacked purity, but they didn't lack gifting. Listen, they may not have had the same spiritual maturity, but they had the same spiritual resources. They had God's provisions. They just weren't using them. We don't need to look. We don't need to search. We don't need to pray for additional special blessings or gifts. It's not a matter of us lacking anything. It's just a matter of us being willing to use what we already have. The word gift, which is a gift of grace, is taken from the word for grace. And while the gifts of speech and knowledge seem to refer to the presenting of the gospel to the world, the gifts that Paul switches to and mentions in verse 7 seem to be the gifts that minister to fellow believers in the church. Here's the deal. God gives us gifts to reach the lost and to reach those right here in our own body. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, I want you to know that we all have at least one spiritual gift. Everybody that came to faith in Jesus Christ, you got a birthday gift when you were born again. And it's called a spiritual gift. Now some because of indifference and some because of just flat out ignorance, you just didn't know, take years to develop and recognize their gifts. And what Justin and I are here to do is to help you as your pastors, to help you identify and then use those gifts. We have tools to help you. We have assessments that we can give you. We have places where you can get in and try it out. And if it don't work, we can quickly tell you that ain't your gift. But I want you to know, man, that Justin and I would be more than happy, more than willing to sit down with anybody who would say, I'd love to know what my spiritual gift is. I would love to know. We, we want to help you. Justin, we want to help people. We do. We, we pray all the time, God, send us more of this and send us more of this. And here's what I'm believing. I believe God's equipped this body to serve in far more ways than people are serving. You just don't know that you've been gifted that way. We want to come alongside of you and help you become all that God's asked you to be in Jesus by showing you your gift. We quench the Holy Spirit of God in our lives when each of us is not using our gift. Do you know that? I don't want God, the Holy Spirit, to be quenched in this church. Do you? But did you know this body will suffer if you have a gift and you're not using it? Do you know that? That would be like your elbow getting blown up on the side of the road or something and something happened to your elbow and, and the rest of your body said, hey, we got resources to help heal you, but we're out. <laughs> that ain't what the body does, right? The body says, hey, man, if I've got something you need, you can have it. The great violinist Niccolo Pagini he was a famous, famous violinist. And in his will, he willed his marvelous violin to Genoa, the city of his birth. But in his will, he made this condition that the instrument should never be played upon. It was an unfortunate condition for that kind of wood that that, that violin was made of was, was good only as long as it would be used. And as soon as it stops being used, it begins to decay. So you can imagine now the exquisite violin that he had has become worm-eaten in a beautiful case, and it's just looking there, it's just being used as nothing more than a, a relic. Here's something I know, that things that are valuable that aren't used lose their meaning. Could it be that the reason this church may not be your cup of tea and that you find more fault with us than you do favor could be because maybe you aren't serving. It's easy to criticize the coach when you're in the stands. But when all the team's working together to try to make it happen, you don't like those who criticize you. Like, hey, won't you get involved? Now, I want to praise God right now. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, there's a lot of you who are serving, and I thank God for you. And I don't want to condemn anybody in the room. I'm trying to get you just to think about this. Do I need to find my gift, and do I need to get plugged in serving in this body? Because if you don't, you're going to miss one of the main purposes of the church. It's for us to serve one another in love. Jeremy, I wonder if you guys would come today. I'm going to sing a song about coming to the altar. 
told you we'll get into the, my favorite part of this scripture in two weeks. We have the past grace of salvation and we have the present gifts of the Spirit. So let me ask you today, would you like to know today that you could say to the Lord Jesus, you could say, Lord, I realize that I have sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me. Would you like to know today that he would forgive you? Not just of all you've done, all you will ever do. And you could have a permanent home in heaven and have the Father living in you forever simply because you took the gift he wants to give. And if that's you today, in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to, there's going to be some other people up here at the altar to receive you. If you'd like to know that forgiveness today and to receive grace, you know you didn't deserve it. I know I didn't deserve it. But God in his great love has provided Christ for us. If you need that today, I wonder if you would come. And let me speak to those maybe who know the Lord. Can I ask you to seriously go before the Lord during this invitation? And say, Lord, am I really serving where you need me to be serving in this church? And if you don't, and you don't know where to serve, man, Justin, I'll be here to receive you. We can tell you about places to serve. Jimmy, here's something, man. I mean, I can't, I can't get away from it because it's in there, right? But, and I'm going to ask people today, man, are we really witnessing for the Lord with the way we know we should? I mean, God puts you in somebody's life to tell them about Jesus. It's your responsibility. And I know you may say, well, I don't know what to say, and I'm afraid and all that. Well, just remember the early church, man, when that was happening, they prayed for more boldness. So maybe right now in this invitation, what you begin to do is you just begin to say, okay, God, for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray individually for that person by their name. And at the end of 30 days, I'm going to try to open my mouth to say something. That's practically how you can do that. I want you to feel like a failure. Just pray about it. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Amen. Or maybe today, maybe today, you just want to come and thank God the grace of your salvation. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're sick. You need us to pray for you. Maybe you're heartbroken. I wonder if you stand to your feet. And as you stand, I'll pray. And we'll pray. Jesus, it's been good to know that your grace has saved us and we are absolutely forever forgiven in Jesus. Let us never lose sight of how amazing grace is. But Lord, let us not get so comfortable with grace that we begin to abuse it. Speak now to your people. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.